What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Oh, goodness, it feels so awkward to say, but perhaps I'm pronouncing it correctly as Buongiorno. Buongiorno to you as well. It has been a few weeks. Life it's got been a little hectic. Wild. Life got crazy. And Life got wild. We're we're back though yes. to talk about some great games. Actually, one really this this episode. Our and review really of episode calling four. It great is pretty a stretch. Well, you're just jumping. You know ahead. what? Here, let's 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 <laughs> retool that as to talk about some games. Some games. Well, we'll mention the ones like coming out, but our main topic is only about the one. Really, is more what I was implying. But you know, new episodes come out Tuesdays 9 a.m. Central Time. You can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, and you can also watch a video version of each episode on YouTube. Head over to teamchatpodcast.com slash where to listen for a complete list of all the places the show is available. You can also find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join our Discord server, where we have a lot of fun conversations when we're not on the show talking to you about games. And finally, if you're really loving and would like to help us make Team Chat bigger and better, head over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast. Whereas for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show, and in return, we'll give you cool perks, like getting the episodes early for the general Tuesday release. But if you're not able to do that, that's totally fine. We totally understand. We just love that you are here listening or watching the show every week. So thank you for all that. But, you know, we would also love a nice subscribe, maybe a review, something like that. Tell your friends. We're fun people. We'd like to meet new fun friends. Reviews so, are tremendously helpful. Yes. So any help that you can give would be very appreciated. Before we jump into the main topic of the day, let's get a little bit of news, find out what's coming out soon in our Moment with Mogan. All right. Because we've been away for a little while, we are going to do a very brief uh, series of catch-up. So uh, out <laughs> now, as of today's air date of, crap, September 10th, uh, the following mm-hmm. have already come out. So Catherine Full Body, which is the remake and actually more remaster because they added some new stuff. Uh, this is the remastered version of the um, infamous Catherine game. So Catherine Full Body came out on September 3rd. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, uh, and that's it. Just kidding. That's the end of the <laughs> list. <laughs> Usually I get to add PC onto the end, but apparently not. not uh, also out as of September 3, you have Final Fantasy t- Eight remastered. This one, God, I wish I had time. Yeah. I wish I had time, and there's so much coming out this month that I am actually going to buy that it's like, where will I find the money? It's starting to ridiculously get crammed out. Yeah, I, I had a few that I was like, must. here are my must plays God. for the rest of the year, but then all of a sudden now I keep adding like five, six more must plays. I mean, plays. my kingdom for them to have put some of these out in, July, in August when yeah. nothing came out, and it's like, cool, a nice barren month. They really should have video games yeah look at your schedules better anyway so final fantasy 8 remastered is out now for playstation 4 xbox one switch and pc it is one of the most underrated titles in my opinion of the final fantasy series definitely play it it's full of emo fantasticness yeah a guy has a gun blade it's a gun and a sword it looks badass what more i gotta could you say ask for? That, i mean that's a great weapon <laughs> And uh, Warsaw uh, is out now for sep- for PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC as of September 4th. River City Girls came out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on September 5. Creature in the Well, Ooh. which sounds really spooky. Sounds ominous. Uh, I don't know what it's actually about, but Creature in the Well came out for Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Wow. Mm. Sucks to be you, Sony. Um, on <laughs> September 6th. And then Monster... Oh, excuse me. That's coming soon. Creature in the Well comes out. Sorry. I was yeah. We're just no, wait, we're doing a lot, so much catch up and everything. Scratch, it will be out by yes, now. Yeah, scratch yeah, yeah. that. So, uh, creature in the well, uh, September six, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. 
also on September 6th, the only, not the only, one of the only two games that I care about in the month of September, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. The massive expansion to the existing Monster Hunter World game is now out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC as of September 6th. Very cool. Uh, Also on September 6th, we have a game probably nobody cares about, I would think, NBA 2K20. (laughs) People who like sports ball. I don't think anybody likes that game. (laughs) Who even plays the NBA? Uh, That's PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Oh, another game that definitely no one cares about. eFootball PES 2020? Oh, okay. Soccer. Is that a... Oh, okay. Nobody cares about that. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, September 10th. That is this episode's air date. And then also on September... Ooh, this one's a big one. Also today on September 10th, we have Gears 5. Yes. Now that's actually a big one, uh, and it's coming out for exclusively for Xbox One and PC. Getting some good reviews from what i heard. That is one of the very few microsoft exclusives we can finally claim for this year gears 5 everybody get ready for it they actually just had gears 4 on games with gold for the last month so i snatched that up nice because i think i don't because yeah i don't think you have to play three because i've only played one and dabbled in and started in two then just got off by other things but gears 5 looks pretty cool but i think to fully understand the story it's like gears 4 would be good no to play don't do it but i mean i'm not gonna buy like, gears good. 5 right don't now it's <laughs> it's one that i will want to eventually play but it's not on my must plays for this year. just charge in blind and trust that the game will give you a I very did that with brief... rage 2 and look what happened <laughs> well that game was objectively <laughs> terrible that was not either of our faults nothing could have but saved I, that I, game i went into it blind i didn't play the first one this is why i have to go back and play the whole series to well, fully that, understand no, it. it probably just means that the first one sucked too <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh, also out today as of september 10 we have Greedfall for playstation okay 4. now that looks cool i don't know anything about these i've been woefully out of the loop for a little while except for monster hunter so Greedfall, what is this Greedfall came it one I, I only started hearing about it maybe like a month month and a half ago and i've only picked up snippets but it looks from what i've kind of determined and gleaned and seen people say it looks like a mix of dragon age and monster hunter fascinating so it's like very rpg very, huh. and everything but it has like a lot but it seems to follow more story mode where there are like creatures but also like human enemies and things like that similar to the but to the dragon age series but then also like a big part of it too i believe is taking down some big beasts larger well. than so life monsters it indeed. looks like it that one looks pretty good i'll take a look uh so that's greedfall for playstation 4 xbox one and pc as of today september 10th uh coming very soon uh, just rounding us out here we have borderlands 3 coming out on september 13th friday the 13th <gasps> that can't be good borderlands 3 for playstation 4 xbox one stadium uh, and PC. Don't buy it for Stadia. Don't buy into this, people. Anyways, buy it on anything else. Uh, Damon X Machina, a game that I will admit I am not excited about, even though I played the demo. Sorry. We never got to talk about it, did we? No, we did. We, oh, we, we did. We jumped okay. back into it. We kind of did it, I think, with that and maybe because I played the demo of Woolies yes, Yoshi's Yoshi. Woolies Yoshi World. world. <laughs> Yoshi's Crafted World. And we kind of talked about it at the same time. But yeah, you're right. We did. We're, I know we're not going to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and finish up your. That Anyways, that's just another side Damon X Machina. It's a Switch exclusive that is coming out on September 13th, uh, followed by another game, probably another two games. Probably no one cares about NASCAR Heat 4. What's up mm. with these sports games? It's the fall. Is NASCAR even a up? sport, though? <laughs> 
Anyways, NASCAR Heat 4 for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PCs. That's Friday, September 13th, followed by NHL 20. Are you kidding me? Hockey games? This is some BS. For PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and those are the only two, on September 13th as well. And that, finally, is all of them. Sorry for all the ketchup. Oh, that's all right. We, I mean, we had a lot to cover. We were out for a couple weeks. I mean, like Gamescom came and com came and ha- came and went really? and all this. So, like, lots of stuff. But you know, we get we just got to press forward, move on. As the as past is the past. The past is the past. As Eiffel sixty five once said in their non blockbuster hit. I don't even remember the title of the song, but the, <laughs> but the main lyric I'm thinking of is like, the past is all that's gone. The future is yet to come. Something, something, I was something, go more 65. With, uh, <laughs> Lion King, you know, you got to put your past behind you. Oh, you know, we are on two very different tempos. That's all right. Anyways, so what whatever. makes the show great? Eiffel 65 people. <laughs> Check it out. If, if you Lion missed, King, if you missed, if that you one missed too. them in 2002 <laughs> and 1997, respectively. <laughs> Go back and check those out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to circle back around now to our main topic, which is about the fourth episode of Life is Strange 2. The Lion King was 1991. Four. Four? Yeah. Okay, never mind. That was the first movie I saw in theaters. As a mere babe? As a mere babe. Mere babe. Anyways, back to Life is Strange. But anyway, so we're doing reviewing the the fourth episode of Life is Strange, which is of Life is Strange 2, which is entitled Faith. So uh, there's really... No way with these with these episodes that we're doing to be able to talk about these without talking about heavy spoilers for the right. episodes. So just going ahead and giving you the heads up. If you don't ever plan on playing Life is Strange 2 and you're just like, cool, I'll listen to these I fools mean, talk about it for a while. In great, our in defense. Right if you don't want to hear any spoilers, don't listen. In our defense. In our defense, I think that if you've been following our Life is Strange 2 review episodes up until this point, you probably already get the gist that we don't superbly love it. So if anything, by listening to our spoiler-full versions of our reviews, we're doing you a favor by saving you look at from having to play the game yourself. That's more harsh than it really probably deserves. A but little, a but little. on the other it's, hand, it's just, we it's are so hard. Kind, we're kind of doing you a favor. But just it's so hard us. when Life is Strange 1 is such an excellent game. And then, it you know, is. it's hard, you know, to, to achieve, the, to match the same level of greatness. It is so hard to achieve that same level of greatness. And speaking of Life is Strange 1, we actually have a friend of the show and former and potentially future question oh, mark guest on the show fuchsia uh, has just started a new stream series and she's playing life is strange one very nice and she has played the first episode of life is strange one many eons ago and she has just decided to take it back up and play the full game on her stream i personally watched it just the other night i had a blast trying to get her to steal a guy's muffin even though i knew full well that she couldn't yeah i was like you're just not trying hard enough <laughs> <laughs> so i wasn't able to catch her we're playing episode one but hopefully i want to i want to jump in for a little bit of episode two so she did have some thoughts to share on what her experience in life is strange has been so far and i wanted to share those with everybody so she says mogan told me you've been talking about life is strange 2 tonight and i just coincidentally started playing the first one on stream last night and she asked me to share some thoughts that is true i was like Phew, share your thoughts <laughs> very aggressively so she says i made it through the first episode in one sitting and the rest will be completely blind i'd previously played the first episode of a few years ago but didn't remember much so far i'm enjoying it but there are a lot of pieces dropped so far and none picked up 
very true for episode one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm finding it a little, in italics, stressful uh, in that I'm never sure I'm making the right choice. That's endemic to Life is Strange. We feel the pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm always worried that I'm missing something. Apparently, I accidentally killed a bird because I didn't notice it. So Fuchsia and I had a a, a jaunty exchange on Discord and Twitter today. I did see that, too. That's hilarious. It was the Blue Jay (laughs) that you can release from uh, Chloe's mom and and stepdad's room room and apparently if you don't free it from their room it dies oh. which i didn't know i so missed that Fuchsia too okay i'm thinking of a different thing a then bird that's hilarious she's a bird murderer, bird murderer. <laughs> so anyways uh mine's the bird murdering she says overall i can't wait to play episode two and probably make a ton more bad decisions my screams my stream schedule did change because of work so if you're interested in catching episode two i'll be playing it on tuesday at 7 a.m yes a.m not p.m you read that right no spoilers please for fuchsia specifically Obviously, anybody that has played Life is Strange knows that going into it blind, especially with the first game, which is amazing, is the best thing you can possibly do for yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's Future Rascal on uh, Twitch. So I would highly recommend everyone to go and watch that. It's a good old time. And if you have already played Life is Strange the first game, you can still enjoy watching somebody else play it and make different decisions. Right, because I'm mark. sure that that allows, especially if you're if it's a very different playthrough like that can make for a really fun well experience. right off the bat she got a trophy that i didn't realize uh how to get oh. so there's a dialogue option at the very beginning of life is strange one where you can talk to those skateboarder dudes out front of the dorms okay and if you pick the right option you apparently get to witness one of the dudes try to do like a fancy kickflip nice. and he f's it up and nails himself in the crotchular region <laughs> with his own skateboard so he's like on the ground clutching his uh, whatever you get the you yep, get the gist, yep, and if yep. you take a picture of him in his pain, that's one of that's the one photo of the trophies. trophies. Oh, and I was like, like oh my the god, she got stuff. it on nice. the first try, and I didn't even know. Yeah, so she's already finding things that I didn't even know were options. Well, that's good then. It means she's being thorough in her playthrough, Indeed. which is what is the key to success in getting the full effect of the story in Life is Strange. So that's really good. Ugh, she was nice to Victoria after she spilled paint on her. Right? Was I nice to Victoria? I was mean to her. I think I was nice. I took really. I think I was. <laughs> I took a picture of her and then posted it on the in-game Facebook. I, not, I and know I, was I like, did not oh, do that. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did not do that. I guess I'm just more of a bitch than you. <laughs> All right, so we're here in Life is Strange episode four. Life is Strange two episode four. Faith. It's two months later from the events of episode three, which for those who have played and kept up. That there, Sean and Daniel were working at a uh, at a weed farm, and it got bust. Or they then tried to steal money through course of events through one of the other campers that they are with, Finn. Finn, and he tried to use Daniel's abilities and everything to to raid the office and steal all this money from the safe. That obviously goes poorly. Of course, Daniel uses his powers and and abilities and blows up the whole area kind of in the game ends with you seeing Sean laying lifeless on the ground with a piece of glass in his eye. Yes. Arguably the greatest cliffhanger the game had given us thus far. Yes. I so agree. when episode three ended, I did feel the best I had felt about life is strange too yep. up until that point. I did too. Because finally it felt like something is happening. So that was really exciting. Yes. So it is good to see that. Um, I wasn't sure how they were really going to play that off in episode four with kind of bringing it back around but i feel like the game probably did it in the most i don't want to say convenient because that makes it sound lazy in the most um 
logical way possible mm. where the premise is that uh sean has woken up in the hospital after being in a coma so it's explained as he was in a coma for about two months you're pretty sure that he probably woke up from that maybe a couple of weeks ago max yeah and that now he's trying to get used to having uh only one eye now because as part of the events transpiring at the end of episode three that piece of glass in his eye did in fact obliterate his eye so i think it's his left eye that yes, is that is the one is that gone. he's missing now. And that brought in an interesting mechanic. Well, what I thought was going to be an interesting mechanic, where because throughout the previous episodes, you, as Sean, in certain locations, could draw in his sketchbook what you're looking at. And you could do that in his hospital room at the very beginning of this. And he kept talking about how, you know, it hurts to focus for too long because that's part of what you draw. You have to like stare at it and you hold down X and to focus, to focus on the area to get all the detail to know what you can draw. And so he kept mentioning like, oh, it makes my head hurt to focus. And so I really thought that was going to hinder that in some way, but it really didn't. Did except you actually for it noticed not feel that, it, that hindered? I didn't really because I feel like it, it – whenever you are looking at something in the first person from Sean's perspective, it does – it is black on the left side of the screen and slowly fades into the right side of the screen to give the appearance that you are missing an eye, which I thought was a very nice touch. That was a nice touch. But I agree. it still just didn't, I didn't feel a hindrance in the drawing. Did it, that happen for you though? It did. So maybe it's just that maybe I noticed it and you didn't, but I felt like when you focused on the images, it's like, oh, you have to hold X to focus. That's not what I saw as being different. What did feel different and honestly much more inconvenient, which was the intended effect, I think, was when you actually look down at your sketchbook then to begin drawing, which you just look at your sketchbook mm -hmm. and start, I think, rotating the left stick, yep. which imitates the motion of drawing. It kept being like you do it for maybe a half second, like a couple of seconds, barely any time at all and then it would kind of forcibly outfocus you and you'd have to start over did you not notice that, that? never happened i felt well, maybe i was imagining it but i could swear that in the process of attempting to actually draw the view kept kind of forcing me back in a way of being like I kind of, Sean never said anything. He never said, oh, I can't focus. I can't do this. But it definitely I guess felt I did like, notice, like it sometimes took longer. I felt like it, sometimes it looked like the side of the left side of the screen started having a, a, a reddish tint to it. Did it really? But I don't know. I don't really notice. I, I also, though, kept accidentally backing out of the whole drawing sequence entirely. Oh, never mind then. Then it's just you. <laughs> but no, but I would restart. I would go back in and restart and do the whole thing again. And oh, it's still, gotcha. and it didn't, I never saw that. I mean, maybe I was just imagining it, but it definitely felt much more arduous. And I felt like, you know what? I don't really think I was imagining it. I feel like it was an intentional mechanic of this drawing process that now, a, because you've had a massive head injury. Right. And B, because you are now missing an eye and you're trying to train your only remaining eye to do the work of what was previously done by two. You have no depth perception. Mm -hmm. I think that it was intentional that the mechanic of actually drawing would be more difficult. Yeah. So I noticed it. Uh, maybe other people did or did not, but I thought when I played it, that that must have been intentional. And I thought, a nice touch. I, thought, I felt like that was a good way to show a real-world consequence and show that uh, what was previously a very easy thing to do, because Sean was obviously a very skilled artist, mm -hmm. had suddenly become much more difficult. And if you actually go in and look at the notebook entries uh, from Sean during this time, most of them are very uh, comparatively 
more primitive drawings than what he was previously yep. able to do. They're much more simplistic. They're frankly not as good right. because he's lost uh, all of his depth perception, which is very natural. So. so, And they mentioned that a lot. And then they did have, at one point in the beginning, his nurse, Joey, comes in and does a couple of tests with him. How did you do on those? Did you get both? I got one, one of them. I got one, too. The, <sighs> the second one where you had to hit the they pen. Hit the pen? Yeah, that was hard, man. That was really that hard. That was really hard. And I was like, oh. And they made such a big point about that. I'm like, is this going to come up later again? And, and in not. this episode, it didn't at yeah. least. So, so I was kind of like, okay, where's where's that going to roll with it? But well, so we can kind of segue that from segue from that to sort of what the next transpiring of events is. So Sean is, of course, in the hospital, but he's also under arrest, right? Because you can't because, blow up a, far, a no. pot farm, and that's not even really re- <laughs> because he's not in trouble for the pot farm, right? They busted the leaders of the pot farm, but not any of the actual workers. Um, depending on how the end of episode three panned out for you, whether or not Finn lived or died if he lived Finn is actually in the same hospital as right. you and you can potentially find him and talk to him and kind of catch up with him did which I thought I did I did not I was oh, like fuck you really like, anyways we'll like, get to that you, you turned Daniel against me and then you tried to get him involved in that thing I ain't talking to you for shit I'm getting out of this hospital I was I was much more for forgiveness in episode 4 than in any of the others but we'll circle back to that so the point is is that you're in this hospital under the assumption that as soon as your nurse clears you for release you are going to be taken by agent flores Mm -hmm. she's a either fbi FBI. or just a she's an fbi uh, investigator slash what do they call him officer detective 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 there we go yeah i think just officer i don't know uh anyway she's a member of the fbi uh she's going to take you straight to juvie and it's not related to the pot farm it's related to they fully believe that you killed the police officer right and you have a big one that was killed during the blast from daniel blah 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 anyway so the point is you are 100 percent certain that you're going to juvie uh straight from the hospital and most importantly is sean you don't have daniel and no one knows where he is. Mm-hmm. Not only do you not know where he is, uh, the agent doesn't know where he is. It's um, been put out to a couple of states. They're trying to find him. Again, Daniel is like, what, 10 years old? Yep. He's a young kid. No one can find him. And you're like, holy crap. The detective really has no leads. So they're trying to figure out, well, well, not they. Uh, Sean is trying to figure out, how am I going to get to Daniel if they're going to take me to juvie? Because regardless of what you're results are on the um, fine of motor skills on the motor skills test with Joey Mm -hmm. he clears you either way right so he clears you and he's like hey you're gonna get released and you then know that the next day agent Flores is gonna take you to juvie and you're gonna probably stand trial blah 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 you're almost certainly gonna get convicted even though you're not actually guilty etc so the point is you then have to plan your air quotes, prison break from the hospital because you're not chained to the bed. It's not like you're handcuffed down, but there is a guard, a police officer stationed outside your room to keep you on lockdown. And the windows have these little bolts in them so that you can't open them wide enough for a human person to realistically fit out of them. Which I really liked that sequence because it was a rare moment in Life is Strange too, where you felt like the 
you had a really big problem to solve in an area rather than just going around and reading and talking to people. Yes. So I really enjoyed that. And I was like, great, this is, we're off to a good start yeah, here. I honestly did too. I really liked that initial sequence in the hospital of a reorienting yourself, getting into the new Sean of one eyed Sean, pirate Sean. Mm-hmm. Yar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I did really enjoy that. And the whole, and again, air quotes, prison break scene. I did really enjoy. So this first part I was definitely on board for. Did you try to get Joey to help you? Um, I, I tried to convince him through words. I did too, and it didn't work. So it didn't work out for me either. I, I was, and I kind of feel like that's one that there. It's no way it's going to work. I mean, to be fair, um, when I was talking to him and he was explaining, I did really like this exchange of dialogue because it really humanized Joey and it drove home the very logical point of Joey's a nurse. He has uh, a girlfriend at home, maybe a fiance slash wife. I can't quite recall, uh, but he has his own life. Mm-hmm. And you, as Sean, when you ask him to help you break out of this hospital where you're being held on criminal charges he explains to you in words assuming you get to this dialogue option that hey man i have my own life no offense but i can't put my entire life on the line just to maybe help you escape from this hospital and it's not fair of you to ask that of me which was a good like teaching moment i felt like for sean yeah I, i think so too i think that that really helped drive home to sean that no matter what's going on with you, things are also always going on with other people. Mm-hmm. And even when you think that somebody definitely has your back, it's not their fault if they can't help you do something that would catastrophically impact their own life. Right. So I did really like that exchange. I did not choose to attack Joey. Oh, I didn't either. Even, I didn't even, even know that was an option. It never I, came across as, as like being... evil as I am, <laughs> even I couldn't attack Joey. I was like, no, he's on my side. I can't do it. So you do eventually learn where Daniel is, though, from a note left in your sketchbook that Joey brings to you from your stuff. Now, to That be one fair, of the previous campers... It yes. took me a second to piece that together, who they were talking about. because I, I couldn't remember Because they said Jake has him. And I was like, who the fuck is Jake? And, but he's, a, he's one of the campers from the... Uh, from the pot farm where you were hand, hanging, hanging out for a couple months. And so he takes Daniel and goes back to his home, which is in Nevada. Yes. So you at least have an idea of where you're going. And so you're able to escape from the, ho- from the hospital. You get into a car, you, you take off, you start driving. So you also didn't try to convince the guard to go get air quotes aspirin for you. I did try to do that. And he you was just did? like, no. Oh, okay. I didn't even, I try eventually that. had to break off the pipe and then just bust the window. I mean, I was all in for window busting from moment number one. Uh, and I actually wish that they had kind of done that particular stretch a little bit differently because when you break open the window and you as Sean get out onto the ledge to again, back, against the wall very small ledge sidle your way over to some scaffolding Mm -hmm. to attempt to scale down the building and leave uh, i really found myself i still think it was a good scene but i really found myself wishing that it had been in first person and that you had had sean's limited vision like you had to go to the left instead of the right yes oh i feel like that would have made it so much more disorienting and a lot more impactful to have done that from a first person perspective but it was in third person it was still risky like mm-hmm. you still felt that sense of oh man if i fall here i'm definitely gonna die and if you went too fast i believe you did like have a moment i had a moment where i slipped yeah i did too and i was like <laughs> i don't want to die <laughs> but imagine how that would have been if you had been in first person oh so yeah that was just Way a worse. small gripe uh but eventually you do in theory, if you do it this way, get to the scaffolding, scale your way down. I did find Finn in his room, and I did choose to wake him up, and then I talked to him, and I did choose to more or less reconcile with him. 
I don't know if this was intended or if I just misread the situation, but I felt like maybe Finn was trying to imply that he was paralyzed. Because at one point hmm. I asked him, well, how are you? Like, what's your, what's your situation? And he's laying down the whole time in his bed, but he's kind of propped up on his elbow. And he kind of went, oh, you know. And then he looked down the length of his body and he didn't really move much. And then he looks back up and he's like, it's pretty bad. So I kind of oh, read that as yeah. maybe he's paralyzed. Sounds like it. Uh, but anyway, so I chose to kind of reconcile with him, and that actually was, even though I didn't actually get that close to him in episode three, I got a lot out of that conversation of being like, hey man, I know you tried to rob a guy, you got my younger brother involved, there was an explosion because of it, but I don't know, cool. I guess you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I chose to reconcile, and I got a lot out of that. Yeah, so I didn't, I just was like, no, because also I was kind of... Afraid that the security guard was going to wake up and there was going to be something else there. But no, you were just able to get away. One thing, though, in the hospital that I wanted to touch on slightly that I was kind of peeved about, relieved slash peeved about, is that in reading through the notebooks and letters and different things you get, you do finally get closure that Chris, a.k.a. Captain Spirit, from the demo in episode two of Life is Strange 2, he did, in fact, survive. Yes. And and that's actually regardless of what options we got, because you got a different option than I did. Right. And in both cases, we both got the message from Chris, which indicates that he's fine. Because in mine, he got hit by a police car in episode two. In yours, he didn't. He didn't. In mine, he just got a spook. But in yours, I was like, he might be dead. (laughs) So I put in my notes in all caps because I was happy. Chris isn't dead. But then also, but then side note to that, I was like, but really? The the fate of this character that they made such a big deal of is relegated to a s- optional note. I also kind of wish that, again, in my playthrough, it made perfect sense because in my ending of episode two, Chris lived. Mm-hmm. He didn't get hit by the car. It veered off the road. He was fine. But in your playthrough, and this kind of harkens back to Kate in Life is Strange 1, in my uh, playthrough of Life is Strange, Kate Fuchsia, do not listen to yeah, this. Yeah, we need to, we need to say, Fuchsia especially, because she, she was specifically requested but, for but no anyways, spoilers, but hey, there's spoilers to Life is Strange episode, spoilers. to Life is Strange 1 in this as well. I'll, I'll, I'll actually sub out all of that and just say, we both got we radically different, yeah, we both got <laughs> radically different options. In my playthrough, Kate died, she did and not in your mind. playthrough, she didn't, and as a result, we both had incredibly different follow-up on her, and I feel like by leaving Chris's fate intentionally ambiguous, ambiguous at the end of episode two that left the door open to either option he could either be fine or he could be dead and i kind of feel like in some ways that was a cop-out because if in your playthrough the result had been you didn't have a note from chris and Mm -hmm. he was just dead i feel like by omission that would have been more impactful than say if you had gotten a letter from uh what are the grandparents' names? I forget. Oh, they said them. Steven's the granddad. Steven um, and Claire? Claire? I think yeah, Claire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire. If we're both thinking Claire. Uh, yeah. we gotta so right. if you had gotten a letter from Claire and she had said something to the extent of like, oh, you know, so-and-so neighbor is devastated over the death of his son, Chris. Right. I feel like that at least would have had a little bit more impact than if we had both had different results like we did. And yet ultimately they led to the same thing of he's fine. It kind of feels like anticlimactic is yeah. how it feels. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things too. And I'm just not, I'm still just trying to wrap my head around then. Why was Chris such a big deal pre launch of the game? I still feel like Chris had such an unexplored storyline Yeah, with his mom's death slash disappearance question mark. Which, when we were talking about episode two, we thought was going to be tied into yeah, the, we to thought the it was going to be a way Sean bigger deal. And it was not at all. And yeah. I still kind of feel like we got robbed of that. So I'm like, I'm still not sold. But that's kind of the thing that we've talked about too. In these past episodes is that in this game, it does definitely feel like the, 
your choices don't matter near as much as they did in, in Life is Strange 1. I, I still agree with that sentiment for sure. Um, I did at least notice in this episode a few things that I finally felt like had had some sort of nebulous effect on the outcome. And even then, I feel like my resolutions were still come to kind of in the same way no matter what. Yeah. So although I did see the effects of decisions I had made in episodes one and two, for example, uh, it still felt like they didn't actually have that much broader impact on how the game would actually play out. And we can kind of skip forward to that by what is the meat of episode four, which I actually got a lot of enjoyment out of. I I just want to make it clear. Episode four was the episode that so far I personally have had the most interest in, and I found it the most enjoyable because, and I agree with that too, because I think of moments like in the hospital and the mini game of trying to fit and the mini puzzle of figuring out how to get out of there and everything. I feel like it really did return more to the roots of, of life is strange one in that life is strange one you had max's ability and everything to go back and to analyze rewind time to get different outcomes and that's how you solved puzzles in this one and i feel like i don't know if they've avoided the situation of puzzles because in, in this one because you as sean don't have the powers no powers yeah but this one was good because i think not having daniel there and having the easy cop out all the time of being like well if i get into pickle i'll just have daniel do something then i feel like that really allowed them to have more creative room to make things better to make better experiences with sean and i think that really did shine through in this episode i had this thought towards the end of the episode i feel like i'm not sure but maybe part of my greater enjoyment of episode four was the fact that for the all of the playable time for all of the playable time of episode four you didn't have daniel with you at all and i was like do i just hate daniel i just think it's still i still think i don't necessarily hate daniel because he is very much a well done nine-year-old character i mean he's very believable as a young boy i just felt like by having him on the periphery by not having him actively part of your playable character, which is Sean plus an extension. I feel like that made it in a lot of ways feel much more personal Mm -hmm. to Sean, which I think made me feel like I had a much stronger connection to him as his own person, as opposed to just solely being Daniel's big brother, which I think is, of course, is part of his identity. It's part of any older sibling or sibling's identity period. But I feel like this was finally, Sean's real chance to kind of have his own time, mm-hmm. have his personality really shine through, and I think that that was really valuable to me. I do too, and and it also just allowed him to step into who he's been trying to be, because like obviously with their father being killed in episode one, he's then tried to fill that role with Daniel, and I think in this episode especially, the Papa Bear or Papa Wolf, I guess, Papa, since they try to be Papa wolves. Bear, how dare you? I know, but he's trying to be, well, they, they, they use the whole parallel of wolves, of cubs and everything. They do, So yeah. going with Papa Wolf uh, and everything to Daniel. And I think that really comes out in a lot of great moments in episode four. Story-wise, I do think episode four is the strongest just because everything that happened definitely made more logical sense yeah. like i and and it felt too that there was just more to do and you had more of a point than just filling random tasks and talking to people yeah, which i feel I because in episode three episode three had a great climax but the majority of episode three is you're just in the camp you go to the pot farm you do you cut some buds 
It was having a job. Yeah. And it was like, I don't play video games to have a job. Yeah. And then you got a janky tattoo, which fortunately seemed to heal without any mass infection, which I don't know how that happened. I assume that while you were in the coma, they dealt with your tattoo infection, <laughs> and then you woke up and it was fine. I think it would have been better God, if you just like had a chunk of your arm you missing you had right like there. a missing arm, and they were like, oh, sorry, that janky tattoo you got it's really like shouldn't did have done you that. in. You shouldn't have got the tattoo and then immediately went skinny dipping oh, in a man, nasty mountain river. Oh, man, that would have been amazing. <laughs> So he goes on. He knows where he's going. He's heading to Nevada. He takes off across the countryside in a stolen vehicle, which is not going to be great for his record. But he heads out there and and is able to escape and eventually makes his way without a small run in in the middle of the night in the de- in the middle of the desert with a couple more uh, redneck hillbillies. So that entire scene, I will say, just annoyed me. It didn't make sense because a it didn't make sense. B it didn't actually need to be part of the episode. Yeah. And C. It just, so I, in my life and also in video games, I very much have this concept of noise, of noise is anything that is not necessary and that you don't need to hear or see and that obscures the objective. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this entire scene, so the scene is that uh, you as Sean have pulled over off the highway, kind of in this little section of desert at night to sleep in your car, of course, because you're trying to get to Haven Point, Nevada to hopefully meet up with Daniel and Jacob. So while you're attempting to sleep, uh, these two very much like Appalachian rednecks, and I was like, they're in Nevada. They're not the same rednecks. Get it right. They're different (laughs) rednecks. I was really mad about that. I was like, that is not regionally accurate. (laughs) So these uh, cowboy attire would have been better. I know. I was like, like, why is one of them wearing regular denim overalls in the desert? No, like flannel. Yeah, it was so weird. I was like, (laughs) what is happening right now? Uh, They were very much stereotypes of what you would think rednecks would be like. And I was like, this is clearly made by the French because they don't realize that rednecks are different depending on where you live. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, these two rednecks uh, roll up out of nowhere and they like knock on the window very aggressively and they're immediately all up in Sean's face because he's Latino and they're clearly racist because they're rednecks and he's on their land, air quotes. So their entire thing is that, again, it's the dead of night. It is probably anywhere from 3 to 5 a.m. It's the middle of nowhere. The entire scene to me just seemed so unbelievable that I wasn't even able to suspend my disbelief and... I guess appreciate question mark mm-hmm. the scene. I found myself sitting there that entire scene and thinking, this is stupid. Well, because we also already got a taste of that same scene back in episode one with the owner of the gas station who locks yeah. him and Daniel up in the in his office. Again, uh, and it's just this um I, I kind of understand what what the game makers are trying to do. I get that they're trying to have this narrative of racial tensions mm-hmm. in the modern United States, which is very true. I'm not saying that those things are not true. They absolutely are. That kind of stuff happens all the time. But in the context of this game, uh, it just serves as distraction yeah. and noise to what I feel like is an already crowded game. Yes. This leads back to my overall problem that there are too many characters and these little miniature snippets and these tiny little side stories with either good or bad characters that ultimately don't go anywhere. We're not going to see those two hillbillies again. Right. There's no broader, what, what's it called? There's no broader um, point. 
not point conflict. Okay. There's no broader conflict behind them. They're just two racist hillbillies right. that are harassing a Latino dude in the desert for no other reason than that they're racist. And the entire scene was set up in such a way that I just I just couldn't find that believable. Yeah. And and it's definitely the kind of thing too where as I was playing through the scene I was like, okay, I also understand as a white man that this scene probably doesn't have as big an impact for me as it would oh yeah and we're obviously we have big blind spots we're both white, right so. but still but i agree with your points though where i was just like this does seem out of place in something that we've already seen not out of place it seemed forced that's yes, the that's word a I'm better way of for. looking at it yes it seemed very forced as a way to push this overall narrative of racism in america again a very real problem an important problem that important somehow thing. feels undermined by these scenes because they're so stereotyped that it somehow dilutes the subject matter to me. It's like, wow, that's not nearly as impactful as if you had made this a more personal journey between, let's say that, let's say that Sean had met someone in, in episode one. Mm. Let's say it was Brody, his old pal Brody, right. and that they had met back up in episode four, and that turns out Brody's raging racist. Mm-hmm. That would have had a lot more impact because you had had more history around those characters and around their storyline. Whereas this was an incident of two random strangers encounter you, to them you are also a stranger, a conflict resolves itself in either being beaten up or in being shamed, there's no good way out. And that's the end of it. There's no additional context. Right. Or even talking about tying up loose ends and everything, you what could have even made the scene better in some regards is because very shortly after this scene, um, Daniel, sorry, sorry, Sean runs out of gas. But oh, what yeah. about what if Brody had somehow lining of the fates happened because he's a traveling journalist? He is, he's a traveling journalist. They totally set it up where he could have been there and showed up and saved Sean again, and that would have been even more of like a man. Whoa, this is crazy! Like lifing thing. I will say though, I do feel like. The game then tries to show the other side of the coin, though, because after Sean does run out of gas, a trucker approaches him, and you have the option to ride with the trucker into Haven's Point, or you can just walk. And I, I chose to... Him. I did, too, because yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting out of this heat. Yeah, I'm not And he winds up giving a sandwich, and, he, and the guy says something along the lines of, you know, we're not all assholes. And... <sighs> Which I felt like was trying to flip that scene. But then again, you could have done it better again, even though maybe a little bit of believability would have been lost if Brody just showed up. But still, I feel like you could have had a better scene and interaction overall and a better discussion on it had it been anchored back to a previous recurring character. I mean, I just think that overall, these two scenes back to back of encountering these two racist white hillbillies in the Nevada desert versus this also white older trucker who is a nicer, air quotes, nicer guy to you than everybody else has been thus far Mm -hmm. on your travels on the road. Those two scenes back to back, again, just felt so forced because I did like the character of the trucker. I thought he was really nice. Anton, that's his name. Yes. Uh, I thought he was really cool. And I was like, finally, somebody's being nice to me. But on the flip side of that is that it just, these two scenes took place within the same 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of it. Because after that, the story progresses as it's actually meant to in terms of the storyline of Sean and Daniel and their overarching problems. Yep. And it just felt like noise to me to have both of these two scenes back to back of, oh, there's some bad people in the world and there's some good people in the world. And it's like, bitch, I know. Yeah. You don't, 
why are, you don't have to tell me we already know mm-hmm. so i just felt like it was every day we get bigger proof of that <laughs> yeah every day we get more proof of that and i just felt like overall it was unnecessary yeah. and a distraction from potentially greater actual character building and story building for the people that actually matter in life is strange too so help me remember putting a pin in this brody discussion because i want to circle back around to it i think and and make the case again of how brody should have been included more in this episode God, brody was great he was great he was a great old guy helped you out in a tough spot and so let's we'll circle back around to that in a little bit when we're doing the wrap of like the climax of this episode so you wind up making it to Haven's Point, and you very quickly find the church because Anton just drops you off at this church where Jacob told you that he – because in conversation with Jacob in episode three, you learned that he came from a religious community. And very religious. Very religious. You might say cultish. A very from, insular community, let's say. Yeah. And then and – They so, call it a cult. Yeah, that, they, that, was they, me, they, that was me being nice. They, they call ju- it a they cult. Jump <laughs> and they just throw it out there. But – so you get out there and you get to Haven's Point and you go into this church and you immediately go around. You meet a couple people there and then you do very quickly stumble upon Daniel. But like not right before, off the bat. But not before you read some handouts, some pamphlets that make it seem like he is being. No, you continue. Oh, continue. sorry. Uh, that make it seem like he is being put on a pedestal by this by this church scene as like a, he's even called like an angel in some of these things. And. And you know, uh, and then you get the idea too because they have this big donation box. You you can listen in on a sermon where you see Daniel like showing off his abilities to this congregation, and it's a big enough deal that he's gotten like people are traveling to come see him. Yeah. Uh, so the broader uh, my question was that why I held up that why I held up that very aggressive finger. My question was, did you go through the front doors of the uh, chapel or did you go upstairs? I went upstairs. Was that the only option? I think you could have gone in. Because I did, I also didn't because go in. Can, I went it, upstairs, and I was like, "Did you do it differently?" Because that seemed a better option for me. But later in a conversation with someone, you they ask you another member of the congregation. They're like, "Well, I didn't see you in the in the service," and you're like, "Oh, we were." I was watching it upstairs. Really? Yeah. I did not have that conversation, okay, but we'll also that. it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Anyways, it's, it all comes together, and so you see the ch- the church, which for the life of me now, Lisbeth. Lisbeth is the Lisbeth. is the is the reverend. Short Lisbeth for Lisbeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. And so annoying. <laughs> just, just a little pet just a little just name her Elizabeth, an damn it. Additional peck in the side. <laughs> and so you meet her and she is very much like, yes, putting out that Daniel is like a sent from God. He's an angel. He shows off his abilities by floating a big huge cross across the in front of the congregation. Also Everybody's Daniel has out. a terrible bowl terrible cut. haircut. Terrible I immediately haircut. thought of the scene in the meme from of everything from the Godfather, where he's just like, "Look how they've massacred my boy." <laughs> That's just what I immediately thought That's of. Hilarious, <laughs> because like, what is that bowl cut? I mean, they it's have terrible. him in this terrible, clearly home chopped oh. bowl cut. He's wearing a white polo tucked into khaki slacks, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, what have what I done this? to you?" <laughs> That's really funny. And so and so yeah, and so you see all this, and then you go and confront him after the after the service is over, and you just walk into the into the auditorium or the sanctuary and you talk with Reverend Elizabeth and with Daniel and it's very clear that she has her hooks in Daniel and she's made him feel like this is his home now she's his de facto mother and that she's going to be take care, taking care of him from now on because Sean obviously can't and Sean is what led to all the the bad things that happened in the past so you try to talk him out of it you try to leave with him but then 
another man of the congregation who's kind of Reverend Elizabeth's uh, strong bodyguard. man bodyguard. Bodyguard yeah. uh, Patrick, I believe, is his name. Really, he has a name. Yeah, it's only a, douchebag number one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go. We'll roll with that. So douchebag number one. Yeah. He rolls up and he and then tries to forcibly eject you from the church, and he eventually does kick you out. And, and like he very aggressively drags you out right. physically, which then kind of posed a problem for me in the sense that I'm like, I feel like Daniel, even though he's in this new area, he's only been here for two months and the time on the road with Sean has been longer with that. And not to mention their brothers and grew up with each other. And so I'm like, why did Daniel, I mean, I can understand his confusion in this scene, but again, this is another thing I want to put a pen in to circle back around to as a, as a criticism a little later on. But so you get kicked out of the church. You're standing there wondering what the hell do I do next? Then this woman walks up behind you, taps you on the shoulder and you talk to her and you very quickly realize it's your long lost mom. Now this is the part where I was like, fine. I know. Same. Yeah. I got very I was excited, excited. <laughs> because you're like, at long last, we're going to figure out where the hell has Karen been? Where has you been? Woman? Exactly. <laughs> I was excited because, about because there's been a lot of mystery. We've had a lot of mystery. Like what necessarily caused her to want to leave Esteban and Sean and Daniel when they were all young kids and to basically just cut contact. Like she barely communicate with her parents, the grandparents you, you were with in episode two. So there were a lot of things and I was like, yes, we're going to get some answers. And so you go back to this hotel, you kind of plan out your next thing and you kind of of what you're going to do next. Cause you're like, okay, well we obviously have to get Daniel out of here. How do we do that? How do we get him out? You contact Jacob and he makes it seem like, yeah, things aren't great here. Like, but we got to We got to do something to get I him mean, out. You, I mean, you, I did really like this character building from Jacob because a, I felt like he was a nice inclusion because yes. from episode three, he really was a side character in episode three, the primary ones being Finn and Cassidy. Yep. So I liked that he was the one that made it over into episode four is like, Hey, remember that cool dude with like the scraggly beard that you met on the camp in episode three? he's the one that made it over because he wasn't part of the raid uh, to attempt to get to this money. Right. He's the only one that really made it out. And he encountered Daniel right after the fact and ran away with him. I found all of that to be actually pretty nice. And the nice plausibility that he had been running from something and then went back and took Daniel. Yes. So it sets up how Daniel gets I, involved in this. I honestly found all of that to be more believable than anything else is yeah. that he had previously been part of this again, very insular, potentially even cultish community, religious community, mm -hmm. and that when everything went down in Oregon, Northern California? Northern California. Northern California. Uh, when all of the pot farm stuff went down, I liked that his instinct was, oh man, I got to take Daniel and get back, air quotes, home. Right. Which is what he did. And I found that to be very relatable because what is people, what what is anyone's instinct when shit goes down and they have no idea what to do? For a lot of people, the answer to that is go home. Mm -hmm. Go back to wherever, air quotes, home is. So he reverted back to this community where he does not actually really feel at home he actually you learn later feels very alienated by this community but it was it was his instinct to return to there with daniel because that's what he equated with the greatest amount of safety at the time which i really liked and also though talking about it now reminded me that he was also very when daniel showed his abilities in the camp he was very much like whoa what is this and he couldn't understand it and like i think that's part of what somewhat of a selfish reason why he took Daniel back to the camp to Haven's point is because he That's wanted to find out like 
what where did he's like oh reverend lisbeth would know where daniel got these abilities you're right i so totally forgot about I, that That's i, I a really had to until you started talking about it. i was like oh wait i remember that conversation good thing bit. we've both played the same game I even know, though right? we forgot 80 percent of it <laughs> we're doing great we're doing good uh but so you basically make a plan to go back and and break daniel out with by breaking jacob with and jacob karen. and karen and you sneak in with with jacob into reverend lisbeth's home to steal some files that she's had on daniel because you found in some other things around that she's been doing research on daniel she's also had a checkered past of being kicked out of other congregations and some other just not good things cuz she's clearly a fanatic like well, she's also, not an she's not a normal pastor right she totally is convinced of her own righteousness mm-hmm. to the point that i think in a couple of the print materials you can read she believes that she is incapable of sin and that it's her job to like lead her congregation yeah god's prophet she totally believes that she is god's prophet and it's like wow that is really extreme for someone with such an ugly french braid and and you see that illustrated too in a lot of ways especially with the handling of i believe it is it jacob's sister the little girl yes who's sick sarah Sarah, Sarah Lee. Lee. Yeah, because like I wanted bread. pies. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the point is. Bread and pies. But, uh, so Sarah Lee is sick, and you learn that she has pneumonia, but Pre- Reverend Lisbeth won't let her leave because she's hoping that, you know, trying to show that through power of prayer, basically, she'll be healed without yeah, any medicine. Uh, Reverend Lisbeth is very much point, uh, not, not pointing, what did she say? Uh, p- positing? What am I trying to say here? Reverend Lisbeth is. When you try to like willpower, I know what you're saying. I know. I know what you're getting I at. I know what I'm trying. I know what I'm trying to do. Not oppress because she's not trying to oppress Impress? people. Impress. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Anyways, in, Reverend Lisbeth is trying to basically instill in her congregation that again, it's this idea of the power of prayer will cure you of any ills that you may have, even if they're pneumonia, which for children can kill you. Yeah. So she believes that you know, oh, you can just pray it away. Uh, when in herself, in her own life, you can investigate her house later on and find evidence that she sees doctors for herself. She gets prescription medicine for herself. Mm-hmm. She just she's this very two faced character of she tells her congregation one thing and then behind their back she does another. So yep. she's a very hypocritical character. Yeah, I agree. And so you eventually get back, you go back into the sanctuary after you feel like you've gathered enough evidence to convince Daniel that yes, you need to leave. You go back into the sanctuary of the church and you confront her again. Things go get cr- go crazy again and because a huge confrontation occurs between Sean, Reverend Lisbeth, douchebag number one, and then I Karen. I don't know his name. <laughs> Karen, I'm, I'm loving douchebag number one. It's, it's, it's fine. And Karen comes back, and they all are just having this tense, intense standoff that eventually, like, things get knocked over. A candle gets knocked over, which then starts setting the church on fire, and then you're having this intense confrontation with everyone. Patrick, or douchebag number one, starts beating the shit out of Sean, and even threatening to shoot him because he, of course he's got a gun and it's Nevada. He's packing. Yeah. So real quick, little tiny aside to this. And I say tiny, even though I know that's not true. Uh, the lead up to this is that while you're at the motel with Karen, Oh, I completely glossed over this. Yeah, It's important to note that Daniel has never met his mother. Mm-hmm. He knew her obviously when he was a tiny, tiny baby, but that was pre memory forming because Karen left the family when Daniel was still young enough that he wouldn't remember her. Right. So when her and Sean roll up to the church and they start this final 
confrontation with Daniel and Reverend Lisbeth, Daniel doesn't know who this person is. Yeah. So it's actually kind of like a big reveal to him that through the dialogue options, Karen kind of steps up and says, Daniel, I'm your mother. And a big part of Daniel's motivations, at least in episode two, not so much in episode three, was that he was very curious to know more about his mother. And of course, they had received a letter from her, or they had found a letter from her at uh, Clarence Stevens' house that implied that she was in Arizona. So he definitely had that natural curiosity of, who the hell is my mom, and why won't anyone tell me about her? Which really is right. Sean's fault. He should understand that he that he wants to know. But anyways... Well, and then that also shows why Daniel was so quickly clean to Reverend Elizabeth. It does. So that does at least add a little bit to the background of why is Daniel so des because he calls Reverend Elizabeth Mother Elizabeth, mm-hmm. like he Reverend Mother, Reverend Mother Elizabeth, and it's like, oh, okay, this is very much a direct link of this is my new mother figure. To the extent that you uh, later realize that Daniel is in fact living with Elizabeth, she's made a little room for him off mm-hmm. of her own house, so she's very much taken over as as his mother figure in the absence of Karen. So Karen has finally, from her own perspective, sucked it up. She's been like, okay, I finally probably need to go get my kid because Jacob sent her a letter at that P.O. PO box that he knew about. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like, oh, man, shit's really going down, huh? I guess I got to go to Nevada. So she actually did do some research. She She did some research. She came out to Nevada to find Daniel. So she's actually been, she's been in Haven Point probably longer than Sean, uh, trying to figure out what's going on and kind of doing a bit of reconnaissance. And I think that for me, a big part of episode four that really had a lot of impact was I genuinely enjoyed the conversation that you can optionally have with Karen as Sean about why she left you where has she been? Mm-hmm. What are her motivations? And I think that that added a lot of depth and character development to the episode for me. It did. And I agree with that too. I did really like, enjoy that too. But there was also the disappointment that it seemed like another thread of this whole season that was just kind of cut off and ended because it. you thought like from how they built it up, and, and maybe this was just us building this up in our own heads, that there was some bigger reason why the mom God, why she left. I had wished so bad that she had had powers. And I, mean, I, I guess like, technically maybe. that could still be revealed in episode 5. <laughs> maybe. But she seemed very surprised at Daniel's abilities she when she saw. She seemed very him. normal. And so I, that was my big thing that I was just like, "Oh man, there's got to be some reason." But I mean, but then there, it just turned out that she just wasn't cut out for having a family. And I mean, in certain lights, I feel like that both I feel like that is a really good development on her character arc in that no she's not special she doesn't have power she's not psychic like daniel i i kind of liked that that wasn't ultimately the pan out as much as there's the other part of me that would have loved oh yeah for that to have been the case i kind of liked that they didn't go that route that it was just like no she was just a regular woman that felt like the binds of marriage and child rearing and the social construct of motherhood was not designed for her. Mm -hmm. And I liked that that was just part of her personality and her character arc, that her entire reason for leaving uh, her husband and her sons, I'm not saying this is a good thing, right? uh, but I liked that, not saying it's justified, but I liked that her entire motivation behind that was just that it wasn't the life for her. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in a lot of ways that 
really humanized her yeah. and made for some really good dialogue. So I really liked that conversation uh, within the game, assuming you chose to have that conversation. Right. Because you could cut it off. As Sean, you could be like, no, I don't want to hear about you. I'm an angsty 17-year-old. Also, I have a lot more problems than you. Shut up. Well, and then too, by having that, I feel like it does help your decision-making later on when you're infiltrating the, the Definitely. church. It makes it easier because you're more... Depending on how you answer, again, with Karen, you can be more sympathetic to wanting her help and more open to her helping and all these things, which could could potentially, I guess, make it easier. Um, so you have that conversation. You bust out Daniel with the church. But then here's the thing that really kind of started that I was like, okay, I've been with it. I've held up so far. But douchebag number one just goes to town on Sean. He's pistol whipping him. He's kicking him down. He's going crazy. No one, literally no one, Karen... Or Daniel, which I give Karen a pass because she hasn't been around. But why the hell did Daniel not do something? What baffles me about this situation, and again, this kind of harkens back to the rednecks earlier in the episode, yeah. is that everyone in life is strange too. Everyone. Like, all of the minor characters are so quick to what is objectively extreme violence. Mm -hmm. And it's like this guy claims to be a man of God. I genuinely find it very unbelievable that he would be so quick to immediately jump to extreme physical violence with what he knows is a teenager. Even if he is racist, I feel like that's really unbelievable that he would just instantly, because Lisbeth told him to, be pistol whipping and punching this kid in the face. And I think to some extent, I didn't focus on that as it being a, as being a thing. I didn't necessarily, because I just took it as him just being a religious zealot and he's following his leader blindly, not so much being a man of God as much as he is a man of Elizabeth. Of, of Reverend Mother Elizabeth. And so I didn't necessarily do it on that, but I was just like, really? No one is going to step in. Like, Karen didn't even try to throw the guy off. Yeah, she didn't. Like, she didn't even be like, whoa, back off. She just kind of like stood She just the stood side. there and was like, oh my God. And I was like, wow, so Daniel's really going to sell me out like this? Yeah. He's watching me getting punched to death. Yeah. And he's totally not going to do anything. And I think that that kind of is important for both of us because both of us had pretty different playthroughs up until now. Mm -hmm. You, I think, made a lot of choices that were kind of more pro-Daniel. Yeah. Of him sort of being good good in the end and i made many decisions that were like anti-daniel right i'm doing this for me and yet both of us had the same result in episode four and it's like so why did you even give us the option i guess it'll be like a dialogue in episode five i guess but then you even guess then, and it might but not that be. won't change the, exactly and that's not going to change the end goal of the game and what the it's end not. is going to be of the game um but so that's really the main thing and then it ends you, you all get out of the church uh, because you convince them to, you start that. That point is when you start like throwing the hard facts, all the truth bombs at Daniel, being like she's not who she says she is, and Daniel believes you. She tries to stop you. You beat up Patrick. Finally, I don't remember how now. Oh, you don't. At least in mine, you didn't. Uh, finally, after Daniel lands you like with the millionth pistol whip, uh, Daniel, f excuse me, after douchebag number one lands you with the final pistol whip, uh, Daniel finally flings him aside. That's right, that's right, that's because right. Because you're basically about to die. Right. Like, you're coughing up blood, you are gravely injured as Sean, and Daniel finally is like, maybe I should help my brother, I guess, who've <laughs> known my entire life. And it's like, thanks, dude. 
Thanks. Good to know you're always by me. So you're able to grab uh, douchebag number one's gun and you start and you're able to and then Lisbeth tries to stop you again and she like locks you into this ch- this now fully it's engulfed in flame church. And, it's and like, I was like, what oh, are you going to do? Have us all down. die? Which I do think that was a really cool setting for the game of having this like burning church around you for this scene. I will say yeah. that was really cool because um, I feel because like, really I'm, Life is Strange doesn't hasn't had that many dynamic environments in like a, oh, a yeah, burning down definitely. building, and so that was a really cool moment. Of and the game. I will say that the dialogue options from Sean of attempting to convince Daniel basically to come back to him through this entire scene that was really tense and really well right. done. And I finally in that scene felt like what I choose as my dialogue will actually matter i agree so overall i really liked this particular scene yeah and so you wind up depending on your choices able to get out of the church and you and then you basically just stand outside it watching it burn and you all basically collectively have a well what now and nobody dies lisbeth and douchebag number one both escape potential is you can shoot lisbeth i forgot about that because i didn't for once i didn't shoot somebody and i I was like i feel like it but i had daniel move her out of the way you did yeah Oh, interesting. I, I, I avoided it at first because I was like, I'm going to try to, again, I'm being pro-Daniel, being like, I'm not going to show him to use his abilities. But then the next option made it seem very much like it's either she's going, I'm going to have to shoot her or something like that. And I was like, well, I can't just kill her in cold blood right in front of Daniel either. So I'll have him move her out of the way you know, and not kill her that way. So that was my decision making on that. Uh, but yeah, I think it is actually, a, you are able to kill her. Um and Which so, none of us got, but right, that's an option. And so, and that's how the episode ends is, is just this, okay, well, what now kind of thing. And then it shows a brief trailer for episode five, which shows the border wall. Yeah, I forgot about that. And, but then also leaves me with questions. So I kind of, I'll admit, I never thought that Sean and Daniel would actually in the broader story of Life is Strange 2 get to the border. I didn't either. Even though that's the clearly stated intent, the entire game is that they're going to join up with their dad Esteban's uh, family in Mexico. They clearly said it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed that they would never actually get that far because I was totally banking on the mom theory. Right. I was like, they're going to meet up with Karen in like Nevada or Arizona and she's going to be a psychic and that's going to be all she wrote. And I was wrong on all accounts. And so, but so this is the thing and why I kind of and circling back now to the Brody situation and kind of overall our, our thoughts on this. And you kind of touched on earlier, or you did touch on earlier, where you said that it feels like all these little small things and small instances. And that's very much, I had the exact same thought and I wrote it down after episode four finished. I was just like, Life is Strange 2 has been filled with basically many villains. There hasn't been, I guess the overarching villain, you could say, is racism in in America. It's it's racism in America. But still, it's like you're not, I feel like they're never able to really devote to that because they're too busy getting distracted by all these mini villains like exactly it's noise yeah it's noise distracting from the actual argument so i feel like life is strange too overall just doesn't know what it wants exactly does it want to focus on this narrative of racism if yes commit to it does it want to focus on sean and daniel as brothers and their struggles if yes freaking commit to that all of these other side stories, I feel like, just detract from the narrative. I don't yeah. think they actually add to it. No. So here's my thing. Since now that we're sitting, knowing that unless there's a twist in episode five and some, we learn something additional about the mother, about Karen, I think if you would have had 
Brody come back, and I'm literally making up this theory right now. Oh, God. <laughs> so get ready for a hot take. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Brody comes back, rescues Sean from the rednecks in the hills. Or in, in the deserts. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, in gotcha. the desert. Uh, he rescues him from there, scares them off. Hooks back up with, with Sean, takes Sean to Haven's Point. They both get there and realize, oh, man, this is really crazy. But Which Brody, I feel like Brody would be really good in a cult situation. Exactly, because yeah. he's a journalist. He's all about online research and all that stuff. And he could have like really dug in, and he, he could have done all his internet research on Elizabeth and like figured out all these different ways. And I feel like this storyline could have been... I think this episode, episode four, should have been stretched into four and five. Really? You think so? I think there was enough that could have been done around the cult situation to have made a lot more content and made some like really... I just think if you would have added more depth into it, I agree the story was a lot better in episode four than in the previous episodes, and it did grab me a lot more. But I think you could have fleshed it out so much more. Had Brody come in, I don't even think you should have had Karen involved at all. Really? Interesting. Not at this point. Hmm. I think this should have been like you you stretch this for – Second half of episode four, first half of episode five. Their second part of episode five is them being like, that's when they find closure with Karen. If she's not going to have, oh, if she's not going to have this like bigger background impact as far as being having powers like Daniel's, then I feel like you could have really devoted a lot more time to the cult thing and then had a recurring character of Brody coming back who has the skill set that would have made him valuable in this of being like the techie you know, reporter guy who's helping you bust all the secrets of this evil cult and who owns a station wagon and who owns a station wagon best vehicle. So you have a place to sleep at least. Uh, but I don't know. I, that's just kind of what I'm, what I'm going with. Cause I, I feel like saying. that would have been slightly even built the tension even more. I mean, that does again, leave us in the situation that I feel like we had with the end of episode one, end of episode two, not as much end of episode three, but I feel like we're right back where we started of going into episode five. I have no freaking idea what to expect. Yeah. And I also have no emotional investment at this point because at the closure of episode four, I feel like, well, I got closure with my missing mom. I got my brother back. I rescued a girl and her brother from a cult, basically. What the F am I going to do in episode five other than escape, question mark, the overarching hand of the law, which has not been made concrete or personified so it's hard to really identify with right and so that's what i mean why i think the ending having end of defeating the cult and everything would have made a great thing because you you reconcile across all these parts you also and this is a slight plot hole that because you know daniel's been at this cult for a couple months and they've been apparently advertising that he's there how did the fbi at the beginning have no idea where he's at Yeah, because they were like oh we put out an apb over like four different also why did no one call the police this is a general complaint that i have if karen knew that her son who she did not have custody over were basically being held by a cult why didn't she just put out a random anonymous tip to the police to be like hey you know that kid that's missing that's where he is yeah it would have taken and one he's my son person come with me because i'm gonna go pull him out you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's like it could have been Karen. It could have been Jacob. Why the fuck didn't Jacob call the gosh darn police? But again, I understand a little bit more with him. He felt like 
like he couldn't because he would be repercussions if it came back to him. But then again, that's where having Brody being the one would have made all the more sense. Brody could have been like, yo, I'm a rich white dude. I can call the police. And it would have been like more narrative on race. But they could have even. Yes. Yes. Very true. But then they also could have had the whole additional if they would have stretched it of them going to the police, like finding out all this information, going to the police and then being like, "Okay, you guys really don't have a case because a you can't really go to the police because, you know, Brody could have gone to the police, but they're going to be like, you have no stake in this. Like, okay, cool, I guess, but you're, but you're not related to this kid. It wouldn't you have don't mattered, know. Though. It wouldn't like, have mattered. Like, legally, exactly. it wouldn't have mattered because he's legally missing in the states of Washington, Oregon, and California. Right. I mean, if they knew that a kid was missing and then you found that kid, they would have come to get That's him. That's true. It wouldn't have mattered if Brody had had personal stake in it. All he would have done say it, all he would have had to do is say, "Hey, you know that missing kid in like Oregon slash Washington slash California? I know where he is." Yeah, and they would have come to get him regardless. And what was the FBI agent's name again? Flores. Flores. Uh, she also says they don't know where the mom is. But come on, she's not like she did. She committed a crime. She just doesn't want to be in contact with her family. You could yeah. have, if you would have showed up to old Claire and Stevens front porch and said, hey, I want the FBI and I need to get in touch with your daughter, they would they be like... They have her P.O. box. Yeah. They know where she Which is. Then is an easy, if Jacob could do it to get in contact with her, why couldn't the FBI? Jacob wrote one handwritten letter and got Karen out to Nevada. Yeah. The FBI did jack squat. So, again, better story overall, I think, and I was more engaged in this episode yes, than any sure. of the other ones. But... There's still like some of these plot holes and we're in just things that I think could have been done better that would have made it for a, a better experience overall. I think so, too. I think overall my my uh, points of improvement would be to have integrated more characters that you had actually had stake with throughout the previous episodes and just to focus more on the actual core story of Sean and Daniel as opposed to trying to have this broad, nebulous narrative that is never or not never, that is not truly fleshed out to its maximum of racism in America, Mm -hmm. which they could have done. If that's what they had chosen to do, they should have put all of their resources behind that. Instead, it feels too fractured. It feels like they're trying to focus on too many things, Mm -hmm. and it dilutes the entire experience. I feel like they are kind of doing a complete... A different take, not necessarily, not necessarily a one eighty on from season one, a three sixty perhaps. <laughs> but in season one, you had one big mystery: where's Rachel? You know? Oh yes, in Life is Strange. In Life one, is Strange one, yeah. Right. Sorry, not episode one of Life is Strange two. I was very confused sorry. for a second. I was but, like, she was in this game. Yeah, it's an Easter egg. <laughs> you didn't see it, <laughs> but so in that, but that's the big overall mystery, and you, and of course, figuring out like what are Max's abilities and all that, but still, and what's going to happen to, into the town and everything, which now I'm blanking on. What's it called? What's the town? Uh, Baytown. <laughs> I'm thinking of Baytown. It starts with Arcadia Bay. Arcadia Bay. And so the overall of like what the impending disaster for Arcadia Bay is. And then throughout, and so you're, you're having these two seemingly disconnected mysteries, but through the course of the gameplay, they, they become come they come together. Yeah, it all comes together. But that's what I mean. We've had in this one every single episode has had a different antagonist. And I mean, unless they move mountains in episode five, I genuinely don't see how any of this is going to be woven together 
or all the bad people you've interacted with are going to form a human blockade at the border. Oh God! And I then hope that's so. when Brody's going to show up in a station wagon. He's going to yell. And he's going to drive right and he's through. He's going to just ri- drive right through. Oh my right gosh! Okay, we should we should write to don't nod. We have a solution <laughs> for you. <laughs> we know how you can save this game. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really have any more, uh, more thoughts on it. Just that. that Obviously, like we said, better than than previous episodes. Yes. Definitely the best episodes by far. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm and I'm curious now. I want to see how it ends. I mean, that's we're gonna my, see that's how my it ends involvement no what. at this point. I just I don't know. I feel like I don't really because all of my random conspiracy theories didn't didn't pan out. I'm like, cool. So now what? Right, and that's kind of where I'm sitting at too. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm still interested enough, and like I'm I'm looking forward to the finals episode because i want to see how this all does come together and they might have some great tricks in their hat that they're waiting to pull out but was layla the villain the whole she masterminded the whole thing she has powers of mind control god wouldn't that be a twist (laughs) i kind of hope they do it (laughs) now that would be cool because i mean they're obviously setting up this universe where there are people with abilities right and so it's it's like that'd be cool to have another person come into these stories in this one who has an ability as well i don't know <gasps> maybe who it would in be. episode five that's why i'm still kind of holding out for the mom i think maybe max shows up max rolls up in episode five and she's like yo i've got powers of time control we're gonna f- backtrack five months to before your dad was dead we're gonna put everything back to normal if that happens, that would be crazy. That and I see crazy. It, it, could, it could legitimately make sense story-wise because she could have seen a news report. And this is presumably a few years or something after the events of Life is Strange 1. She could have seen a news report, understood from like, like hey, I Intuition. have this ability. Yeah. I think something here, there's something about it here. And she like is kind of following the story along this, along the uh you know, in the background this whole time. And then, yeah, she finds out that would be crazy. Gosh, I thought of that just now. And now I'm like, look at these I good, really hope it's going to be true. We are thinking some great theories. I'm it's not it. going to be, but we can hope, but still how crazy would that yeah, be? If that it was would true? be wild. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Chloe comes back from the grave. Ooh. Assuming you didn't save her in episode one. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Everybody shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that concludes this review of life is strange Two, episode four faith, our review of it. Uh, obviously we'll be coming back with episode five for a review of that when that comes out in December, I believe. So stay tuned for that. But before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight for this episode, which we are going to focus music from episode four of life's strange Two. We're going to use the ending track, which is meaning by Cascadeur. Hope I'm saying that right, but it's Cascadeur, uh, and the song is meaning. And it's what plays during the final cutscenes of the episode as you are staring at the burning church. So it's a very emotional piece. It is to be enjoyed. In emotional tones. So listen to that after the close of the episode, which is pretty much now. Until next time, everybody, I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Adios. We'll see you all next week. Stick around for the song. <laughs>